The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. I'm joined in the studio now by Catherine Day, former Secretary General of the European Commission. Catherine spent more than 40 years working in various levels of public service, acting as a key negotiator in the 2014 to 2020 EU budget framework and playing a significant role in coordinating EU and national economic and social policies. She is on the cusp of receiving the Porico Higgin Award for Financial Services at the upcoming Financial Services Awards on Thursday, the 26th of October at the Mansion House in Dublin. Catherine, you're very welcome. Thank you very much, Anton. I was just looking at the numbers. You joined the Commission in 79 when our membership of the EU was still a tiny and fledgling thing. We were only six years in. What caused you to decide that was where the career should go? Uh, Well, I suppose I was in UCD when Ireland actually joined and Gareth Fitzgerald was my tutor. And of course, he was very enthusiastic about Ireland's membership. And also, um, Ireland was a very quiet, small, poor country. And I suppose I was always interested in exploring the wider world. Um, So it was an opportunity just to go and see how things were done differently. But you're right. I mean, um, we were still feeling our way after joining in 1973. And I remember in the early 80s having an argument with a Belgian colleague and he just leaned back in his chair and he said, you people who joined in 73 don't understand anything. And in a way it was true, you know. It takes a long time to get under the skin of what the EU really is. And I think um, that, that, you know, it's been a fantastic experience for Ireland. We're a completely different country after 50 years of being in the EU. And we've gone from being that small, poor country on the western edge of Europe to being now... Um, a senior member um, and a country, I think, that has a lot of experience to offer. But also we are now a wealthy country, partly largely thanks to the EU. Um, And so we're still growing into that feeling of ourselves as a wealthy country. And as the EU enlarged in the 2000s, I think Ireland offered a lot of expertise without any patronising talking down to aspiring new members. And I think that we can do that again as the EU looks like it's set to enlarge again in the next decade. On the topic of patronage, you would, you moving into a role as a senior civil servant in any bureaucracy in 1979 as a woman was a rare position. There were not many. You not only were that, but you were in a situation where you were representing or you were from rather a very minor member state in the big scheme of things and a member state that was in recipient, uh, that was a a net recipient of significant amounts of aid and therefore seen as an economic draw. How challenging was that? Um, It was very challenging because I think um, you have to be realistic about who you are when you're from a small, poor country. At the same time, you don't want to be treated as a poor relation. So you want to show that you can make a contribution. And I suppose that was part of um, my career moves. You know, I think my whole career in the Commission changed when I went to join, um, first of all, the Cabinet of Dick Burke. The Cabinets are the small personal staff around the Commissioners. And that was where I started to understand where the technical work of the Commission meets the real politics of the wider world. And then I went on to work for Peter Sutherland and Leon Britton. So they were fantastic experiences about just how to see the world differently. And I mean, Peter Sutherland was 
a very dynamic, determined, very ambitious young man. He was only 38 when he became commissioner. And um, he was part of the Delore Commission that was determined to introduce the single market, which Ireland has been such a beneficiary of. But when I worked, went to work for Sillian, it was quite different because he came from a big member state, which was not so eurosceptic then in the in the nineteen the end of the nineteen eighties. Um, and he thought, as of right, um, he would be at the top table for everything because he came from a big country. And part of my um, enjoyable work with him was to explain to him that small countries do matter, especially if you need votes, uh, then a couple of small countries can make the difference. And I think that was a bit of an eye opener for him. And it was an eye opener for me in terms of just looking uh, how differently big countries look at the world. What was it like trying to figure out how to navigate a bureaucracy of that scale? And to what extent is the perception that things are very difficult to change in a large monolithic uh, bureaucracy like that? Um, They are difficult to change because the Commission is fortunately full of bright people um, and uh, very convinced of the importance of what they're doing. Um, But at the same time, I think... um, when I was Secretary General, one of my jobs was to bring the reality of the outside world to my colleagues, um, because it's all very well to be starry-eyed about uh, European integration. But if it's not cutting the mustard with ordinary people, then you have to change. And I remember um, both when I worked for President Barroso and then particularly with President Juncker, because he had to campaign across Europe to get the nomination of Commission President. And he's an ardent European And he was really shocked by the people he met on the ground who said, oh, you're only a bureaucracy, you're making our lives difficult. And he came back and he said, you know, we have to do things differently. We we believe that we are making life better for our citizens. But if they don't feel that, then we've got to change. So that was when we started doing a lot more consultation, reaching out to people. Um, We went from a time when people would be proud of saying, oh, I knocked that proposal up on a weekend, you know, to spending two years Uh, explaining to people what we were trying to do, listening seriously to when they said that wouldn't work or this would be better. Um, And actually it has, uh, I think, made European policy making uh, much better. um, Slower? Well, it's slow anyway, because trying to get 27 countries to agree on anything, plus the European Parliament... Um, it takes time, but it, if if you have done your homework, which is what we were doing much better in recent years, then you have answers to the obvious questions people will raise. You can say, yes, we thought of that, but we decided not to do it because. Um, and I think what the Commission has learned, it's very important to hang on to the real purpose and what's really important of what you're trying to do, but to be flexible on how to get there. And um, that involves a lot of compromise, a lot of sitting in endless meetings, but, you know, being open to arguing and making your case and not losing sight of the bigger picture. As you look back at the career in Europe, what was the most challenging aspect of it? What was the most stressful aspect? Was it the euro crisis? Um, well, the first thing I would say was the single market, because that was revolutionary. Um, the idea that, because we had spent years negotiating tiny little um, technical laws on harmonising everything to make it possible to remove barriers. And then there was this light bulb moment when they said, well, why are we doing this? We're all, we all care about protecting our citizens, having standards, etc. Let's just get rid of the borders, the barriers. So that was phenomenal in terms of a change in administrative culture. Um, I think the most exciting for me was working on the enlargement to Eastern Europe. 
Um, and yes, the euro crisis was absolutely harrowing because, first of all, it took several months to persuade the other member states that there was a crisis in Greece, that we should do something about it. They were in denial. Then when they realised what was rushing at them, we had no no guidebook for that. It had never happened. Nobody had imagined it happening. And the markets were very quick to write off the euro as a um, Mickey Mouse currency and all the rest of it. At any point, not the Mickey Mouse definition, but at any point, did you think that their pessimistic view about the survival of the euro was correct? Yes, in the early, I mean, we were having about one European Council a month, which is a real crisis uh, mindset. And I mean, several times... um, after about 10 hours of discussion and you saw that there was no agreement in sight and the markets were going to open within 12 hours, uh, you really had the feeling, oh my God, this could be the end. And it was also the moment when I realised that the UK might actually leave because when they were negotiating what has the unglamorous title of the fiscal compact, um, about two o'clock in the morning, David Cameron just said, "Um, we we want the euro to succeed, we'll never be part of it, but we can't go with you. And... um, President Sarkozy said, well, that's terribly sorry, David, but we're going ahead anyway. Uh, And it was that existential, you know, I thought, oh, my God, you know, you're sitting there in the room just with the prime ministers and think, oh, my God. And then it got papered over afterwards. But it was one of the moments and looking back on it, you know, you could see that Brexit was probably inevitable. Do you worry as a legacy of Brexit that the union is weakened or do you think it is in a good position? I think the union is stronger. Um, because it sounds like a strange thing to say, having lost an important member state and one whose departure we regret. But I think um, there isn't that nagging voice all the time, never wanting things to move forward. I think what's happened in the world since 2016 has also brought the union together Um, between COVID and the war in Ukraine and climate. These are huge problems that no European country feels they can tackle on their own. Um, and so that that kind of feeling of we are more united, we're working together, we will overcome the difficulties, that is stronger now than it was previously. And presumably Ireland has a great opportunity as a function of being now the only Europe, uh, the only English speaking European nation and the closest neighbour to France. Yes, and we are in the family. And I mean, we had phenomenal solidarity with Ireland's position all through the Brexit negotiations. And I don't think it took London ages to realise that that, you know, the European Union was going to support Ireland. Um, and why was that? Well, because Ireland was a member state and the UK well, didn't want to be any longer. So, you know, these are, the, these are the moments when you really know who your friends are. Catherine Day, it has been a great pleasure to talk to you. Catherine is the second ever recipient of the Porico Higgin Award for Financial Services at the upcoming Financial Services Awards on Thursday, the 26th of October in the Mansion House and, of course, former Secretary General of the European Commission. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.